Hello, legends, and welcome to the show. Catching Up With Cub is a podcast that ensures that you have the knowledge and the entertainment needed to kick ass in today's business world. And of course, as always, this show and this episode are brought to you by Cub, Australia's number one members club, uh, connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. Having the right network is the most proven, most important and best tactic of all time of securing success, but there's never been a way for all of us to do that. Now there is, it's Cub, and that's why it's Australia's fastest growing members club for entrepreneurs and business leaders. Today, we're going to be catching up with Cub member, Steve Grace. He's been a long time member, been a member for four years. In fact, in the conversation, I found out he was our first member who owns a recruitment agency. Um, Steve is one of Australia's experts in recruitment. Having started and sold, successfully sold two recruitment agencies, uh, Steve is now on his third. He's the CEO of Nudge Recruitment, which is a, a recruitment agency, agency that specializes in ensuring that high growth companies access the talent of top tier companies, of the large companies. He makes sure that you get the talent that we, that we wouldn't ordinarily have access to getting as well as offering incredible expertise, which you're about to indulge in right now. So enjoy the show. All right, we're live. Welcome to the show, Gracie. How are you, matey? Thank you, Dan. Very good. Very good. Are you, um, you've been um, on, in isolation lately? I have been. Well, I work from home anyway, so the only thing that's happened in my house is everybody else has now joined me. Yeah, all, all the kids are on Zoom, you say? The you kids say? are now on Zoom um, and the missus at home and the dog. And what, We're all there. Brilliant, brilliant. The dog's on Zoom too, you reckon? <laughs> he keeps. <laughs> he likes to get in the picture. Matey, well, I'm excited to have you here today. And, of course, the purpose of it is to um, share your infinite wisdom in the realm of recruitment, which I know is um, one of the hardest things that, uh, business owners uh, and leaders um, have to do is, is build a build a strong and incredible team. So I'm excited to learn myself and to share that with the with the guests. You've been a member. You you said it to me just before we started. I thought you'd been a member for two years. You've been a member for four years of cut. Yeah, this is my fourth year now. Long time. So this is incredible. Why, why have you stayed? Day. It was very early days when I joined. Really? I think I was the first recruiter. I think Anthony approached me and said, "We really need a recruiter in the club." Would you be interested? And it was yeah, it was a long time. No way. Yeah, that's brilliant. And and I guess what's been the um, value Cub has uh, given you over the four? Why have you stayed four years? Yeah, look, it's it's, it's an interesting one because it's it's changed mm -hmm. because my life's changed. Mm -hmm. you know, when I joined, I was co-director of a big recruitment business that was turning over 40, 50 mil staff in two locations, doing all sorts of different things. Um, and then there was a period where I wasn't working, where I had some time off after I sold my shares in that business and then there's a time now where I'm starting a new business and Cub has been different things to me all the way through and I've used <laughs> cool. it in very different ways in those three stages of my life. I mean when I wasn't working I was there a lot. Um, when I had the big company I wasn't there as much and, and now I'm utilizing it to grow. So it's, it's been really it's been really interesting because I've used it in so many different ways now. That's awesome. I love that. And matey let's dive in straight away to recruitment. Yep. Right. As I mentioned recruitment sucks for a lot of, for a lot of, um, uh, business owners. It, it's just hard. I can say for myself, it's a process of which no one's really trained on how to do it. Nope. Um, and it can be an incredibly costly thing for a lot of people. So I guess I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on what the 
ideal recruitment process would be from from the advertising of the role right through to the to the hiring it's a really interesting question because there's so many different ways to answer that depending upon the size of the company the kind of role the level of the role all those kinds of things um, I don't think there's an ideal recruitment process other than one that goes smoothly but unfortunately with people that, that's a rarely a rarely a thing and I think the first thing most companies seem to get wrong is what they actually want to hire. They will have a job description that's out of date or they'll have one person's opinion or they haven't really thought about it and people don't plan their recruitment anymore. They used to, if you go back to when I was younger. What do you mean by plan? Well, you could sit down with a client and they would say, right, this is what we're going to do in the next 12 months. We're going to hire this role here. We're thinking about doing this here. And, and you would know what that 12-month hiring plan was for the client and you would plan that out with them. And we're, going, we're talking before internet days, so very, very long time ago. Mm -hmm. These days, it's it's so much more. You don't look that old. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's the, um, it's the no hair thing. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me timeless. That would be a big <laughs> advantage right now because half of us are walking around like bushmen because no one's getting a haircut, or the eyebrows aren't fixed. It's yeah. a bit of <laughs> My eyebrows are still there. Can <laughs> yeah, I just make that yeah. clear? I do have some. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a bit of a tough times for the old um, grooming department. But yeah. <laughs> back to back to recruitment. So I think, look, the difference is now everything's so reactive. Companies are moving at such pace. People don't plan. It's it's they're sort of going through something. Something happens. They pivot. They change. They have to hire. They have to change. And so often they don't think out what they're doing and who they should be hiring. And they're reactive and thinking in a short term manner. And that's that's where a lot of it can go wrong. And I think if you can help companies get that right. Um, that's that's one of the key things in terms of being successful in hiring. And where we are now working with startups and scale-ups, it's a particular problem um, with them not thinking about what they're doing from a longer term. And so uh, you think it would be better off for companies actually saying, okay, what are our goals this year? And what are the human, what's the human capital we need to achieve those goals? Creating a a yearly plan. So saying, oh, we're going to need to hire a marketing manager in this quarter. We're going to need to hire someone in this quarter. This is the reason why we need this person to achieve, you know, to, to achieve our goals or is that what you mean by creating a plan? Look, I, I think that's just not a reality now. I mm -hmm. just think the world is moving too fast. If they could do that, that would be awesome. But the reality is that's, that's not going to happen and they're not going to be able to follow that plan. And, you know, you, you run a business from scratch and up, up. You just can't see what's around the corner. I think the difference now in the world we live in is rather than a 12-month plan, it's, okay, we've got a requirement we want to hire someone stop, take a breath, sit down, think about why, think about the longer-term prospects of it rather than let's just hire someone for the problem today and let's not think about the problem tomorrow. And, and it's that rushing of hiring, particularly, again, with companies that are maybe doing fundraising, as soon as they get their cash, they're, they're ready to blow it. Mm -hmm. I think they just need to take a step and a breath and perhaps talk with a recruiter or talk with someone else in their business or have a senior management meeting about it and just come up with an idea as to why they need this now. But how's that going to work in six months? How's that going to work in 12 months? And just think about it a little bit more clearly. So really zoning in on the, on the purpose of that person. Yes, both now and in the future. I can say from experience, the times that we've brought on people that have been uh, that haven't worked out, yep, uh, which have been a few, um, <laughs> are are when we were desperate to bring someone on, and we acted fast and out of I don't want to say desperation, but we acted out of oh no, we just need someone now. I'd rather just have someone yep. in, and you do that, and you don't wait for the ideal person, you don't wait for the perfect person. You find yourself justifying like oh no, they they they're good, they'll, they'll do the role and. 
three months later, one week later, six months later, whatever it may be, you're, you're in the same position again. Yep. But you've also lost all the money that's gone into that into that particular person. And it, yeah, it's huge cost, right? It's huge cost in, in, in money, but also time and, and effort. But I, I think it's not always it's not always just the desperation and the other end of the scale waiting for the perfect person. The perfect person's not there. So you just got to also realize that because you do have people who do keep keep interviewing and keep interviewing and keep interviewing and then they sometimes lose who might have been a great candidate because they were looking for that perfect person. So it's got to be somewhere in the middle and I think it, that's the whole point of taking a breath. Don't be desperate but don't also be sitting there waiting for your answer to all your prayers because that's not going to happen. I think you always need to hire on potential because that's how you're going to have a longer-term success rate with, with your hires. If you're hiring people on the potential of what they'll become, they'll solve a problem today but potentially they'll also be able to do that. That's how you're going to have a much greater success rate longer term. And so how can you tell the difference between someone who could be uh, smart in the future as someone who, who's not going to be? <laughs> um, I don't think you can. I think there's an element of trust in there, but I think you you look like you've read a lot of books looking around here. Have I you would seen imagine. my library? I haven't shown you I my have, library. No, I had a little look yeah. while you were around the corner. I did yeah. have a peek. Um, yeah. And I'm sure you've read a few books. There's one called Blink. Um, yep. which I, you may or may or not have read, um, which is really about the decision, the power of making instant decisions and the power of longer-term decisions. And, the, and that's gut feel, if you like, as some people talk, and you have to bring that into hiring. Um, but you also can't rely on it with hiring. And that book's a really good explanation of how to use a balanced sort of assessment of the gut that you feel about someone and actually deep delving deep into them with questions and, and things like situational interviewing and behavioural interviewing. Are you someone who makes decisions fast or do you act slow? Because I, I reckon there's a lot of business owners out there, myself included, prime suspect. You have an idea, you're like, yes, that's the best idea ever. Let's fucking do it. Let's execute or don't think too much. Do you, do you obviously you're a, a lot more experienced in business than, than I am. Have you found that uh, that's a good strategy or have you found, no, no, you've got to slow down? I make decisions way too fast. Okay. So we're the same. And often regret it. Yeah. I think that must be, <laughs> that must be a big time entrepreneurial. I think it is. I think, I think at the end of the day to achieve anything, you've got to have action, right? And mm. if you don't have action, you don't achieve anything. So better to have action fast than not action. My, so you can, you can deal with trying to sort out what you messed up rather than just sitting there waiting for it to happen. My old man used to say, shoot, then aim. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably about right. Yeah. Because it, 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 if you don't shoot, I mean, you're never going to hit target. So you no. may as well start. It's, I, my, my dad used to use the analogy that if you hit a golf putt short, it was never going to go in. Yeah. That's, and, and, you know, I know a lot of people use that. He used to always say that to me over and over and over again, and I hate it when people say it to me. Yeah. But, um, but, it, <laughs> but it's true. you, you got to do something. you gotta, you true. got to take action in some way. And so I guess identifying the purpose of the role and, and how that role is going to develop into the future is step one. How do you then um, – what's the advertising – process how, how do you identify someone that's good so advertising has become almost entirely ineffective here in australia mm -hmm. because we have got although you know things are changing right now but we've had one of the greatest talent shortages ever to exist in the world and in australia far worse is that true so, yep absolutely it's very true and it's it's not gone away and because we have such a small population here it's accentuated even more so advertising will work for maybe 
admin roles, reception roles, where there's a high volume of candidates and, you know, you can't really go and headhunt or approach a receptionist unless you just happen to be walking into a reception and you really think someone's dealt with you in an amazing way. Mm. So it'll work in that respect. But most people who are hiring roles have to go out and find people, which is incredibly time intensive. And hard. So we see that makes so much sense now that, now that you say that to me because we've tried advertising through many of the you know, platforms and websites and yep. things like that. And they've actually gotten worse and worse. They are so much worse. These, I, don't, I mean, I'm not too sure why. Uh, do you have a reason why? I think it's very easy to apply for a job now. Mm-hmm. It used to be a bit more difficult, a bit more involved. People have everything set up on their, their, their Seeks or their LinkedIn and they just press a button and they'll just, they'll just apply like crazy for jobs. And that just kills your time because you've got to go through them to realise they're not suitable. And the ones who are good aren't often looking. Yeah. So it's and there's the problem. There is the problem, and the problem is about in building. It's it's about and you've got members who do this who build your employee brand. Mm. Um, and one of the things we're doing at the moment, while we've got more time than perhaps we would, is we're trying to help companies make videos on why it's good to work there that we can use when we go and approach people because ultimately we are going and approaching people and we have to sell a story. And you are selling. So when you want someone to join the team, you need to sell. Hey, why it's good in this team? You need a story. You need the you need the whole thing. You need the history. You need the now, and you need the future. And you need to take that person on that whole journey. And you always start with the history, mm. the good and the bad. And it's always good to have some bad in there. It builds some trust so that they just don't think you're selling, selling. Then you tell them what what's happening now, and then you tell them where that role is actually going to go and how they're going to impact. And I think the number one reason anyone moves is if they feel they can have an impact in the business they're going to work in. Really, number one. More than money, more than anything else, it's it's that feeling of impact. I'm contributing to something that's great. Knowing that they can see what they do has an impact. It's absolutely that's what it is. Wow. So, so you will encourage. So perhaps it's a very good tip that everybody actually creates these video. And, and by the video, are, are you meaning it's the owner or a leader of the business kind of just telling the story okay, to the camera depend. or is it, it depend i think i think you want team members in there as well if you can I mean, it depends yes. on the person. social proof it's like a normal yeah. sale it's like we'd have members saying how good the club is exactly right ah, and put it in video form you know everyone loves video as we can now see and everyone wants video and video is so much more accessible why not help us when we're recruiting for you by giving us a little snippet of something we can send through job descriptions are just so how do you describe job descriptions? They're, they're, they are useful to a point, but generally they don't describe the real job. They're usually relatively inaccurate and they don't really tell a story. And it's the storytelling that gets the good candidates to move. That's genius. Do you know one thing that I do? Um, may not be <laughs> go, go for it. <laughs> Everyone gets worried when I say shit like that. But, but if someone has applied for a role mm-hmm. at Cub, and we get a lot of applications, mostly because a lot of people are excited to, meet people like yourself and be in that type of ambitious environment. But I will almost turn down every, I won't even look at an application if they did not put a cover letter. If they didn't bother writing a custom thing, I'll be like, well, matey, you don't want this role enough or you aren't. I mean, for example, if I was going to apply for a job, I would make sure I did a cover letter. I would probably make sure I called up. I would probably turn up and hand my CV to the reception and even give them a, a him or her a gift. And I wouldn't do that, by the way. No, you've got to get in the electronic system. If you come in manually, you'll get lost. No, no, no. You do both. You do the electronic. <laughs> you do manual. You, I guess it's just a touch point. So I think that 
that when you, when, I know when we have people do that to us, when they turn up or they call up several times, that person is always getting um, an interview. Let me ask you a question. How many, and this, this always makes me laugh, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I agree with you on the cover letter thing. I wouldn't have maybe five, six years ago, but right now I, I think it is important. But how many, and I see them all the time, cover letters do you get for the wrong job? They've written a cover letter. They've written one for, let's say you're after an assistant accountant, but you've, they've written one for a marketing coordinator yeah. and they've, got, they've attached it. I see that yeah. how often? Yeah, that's uh, that notoriously happens on one of the recruitment websites, <laughs> all two of them. But, but that very often, very often. And that's, I think that's the problem. People don't care enough in the jobs they're applying for, which, which brings you back to advertising again and why it's relatively unsuccessful. And what about social media then? So if you've got this incredible piece of video, would you put that across social media platforms? Would you put that on the website? Where would you put that? How would you use it? Look, I think companies will do their own ones, which will go on social media. The purpose of the ones we're trying to do is ones that we will send only to people who we are approaching about a job. So it is a little bit more personalized. Mm-hmm. So for example, if it's if it's a marketing role, it might be the marketing manager who's leading that video. You don't want the CEO. It, it loses its power. You want the people who they're going to be actively involved with saying this is why you should come and have a chat to us. Oh, I love that. So it's not the CEO or the head of the business should do it. It's actually the people that they, sh- they will be working directly with. Absolutely. And I think, you know, most companies have people hiring multiple roles, whether it's mm. the marketing manager or the IT manager or the sales mm. manager. You can do, They need one video each and they need to have their team sort of talking about their roles and what they do. Brilliant. And so now you've attracted this, this incredible talent. They've, they've come in. The interview process. How many interviews would you recommend people have before yeah. they? Probably, I think if you could, if you can do it quickly, three is a great number. That's what we do. Three. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. We didn't we didn't script that, by the way. Um, but I think <laughs> we don't script anything. I gave you <laughs> I gave you the I gave you the conversation conversation note sheet the ten minutes before we started the yeah, conversation. Yeah, and there's nothing on there about three <laughs> interviews. Um, no, I look. I have clients who do five that drive me nuts, and they'll they'll lose candidates in the process. I have ones that do one, and then they end up hiring the wrong person. Um, you know, I think three, but you need to sort of be able to do it. If you can keep the process moving and do it within a week to ten days, two weeks maximum, you're going to be fine. Okay. Um, and if you find someone great, I got told a long time ago, if you find someone amazing, just take them. No, don't do that. No. Okay. No. Yeah, that just, guy. You can that, just, that guy's caused me a lot of issues. Just expediate that <laughs> process, right? Just expediate yeah. it. Try. You can do two interviews in one day, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, don't just don't do that. Don't. You've done it, right? It oh, didn't several work out. Times. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Now that I think back at it, I'm going to send whoever gave me that advice a bill. Do you know how many times I don't follow my own advice and hire the wrong people? You'd yeah. be amazed. We all we all do it. Yeah. It's human nature. Sometimes we're morons. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes we're geniuses. Morons is a good term. Yeah. Um, And um, so three times. And what's the purpose of each interview? I think every interview has to have the same three elements again. I think you need to sell to them. I think you need to delve into something specific. Um, The first meeting needs to be, are you going to get on? Because if you're not going to get on, the whole thing's a waste of time. Our first meeting at Cub that we have with someone is basically, do we like you? Are we... Do we get along? Are we going to want to hang out together every day? Yeah, and that that's the number one thing. I think then you're going to have some feelings about some things that might worry you or might impress you, and then mm. the second interview is about that. So you want to hear about the things that maybe you're excited about that they've done, mm. but you also want to hear about some of the things that perhaps you're worried about or that they feel they've done badly. And, and there's, still, there's still aren't enough interviews talking about where people have stuffed up. 
People need to talk about that. So much. we should be asking, look, where are times that you've done something that didn't work out, that was wrong, that was bad? And everyone's got a bad role on their resume where yeah. they haven't stayed for long and it's getting into that and being honest about it and understanding that they have the ability to talk about the stuff they haven't done well. And if they lie and say, no, nah, I'm perfect, you can just stop the interview. Yeah, well, let's say, say that. Maybe. They should never have got to this yeah. point. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can just stop it, save yourself some time. Yeah. And then the third interview. The third one is, is really you both talking about the future between the two of okay. you and making sure you're aligned. Okay. Um, and that that's it's, it's almost a confirmation interview. And you can bring other team members in there. It, it's difficult as you don't want to bring in too many, but you don't want to bring in too, too few either. So you've just got to get that right, that mix of them meeting enough people and, and you having enough opinions to be able to see it from someone else's perspective, but not too many. Yeah, we, we regularly will have other team members in the second or third. Yep. And we will even get the person to come to one of our events to get them to meet members, experience the culture. And, it's a good idea. And yeah, it works yeah, quite well because the members are choosing. And do you recommend, I've heard a lot of different things on this topic, but do you recommend doing the um, uh, reference calls to the, the old employ, employers or, or, or do you There's been a change that? in this. So it's interesting. We, we use a separate company now to do that and we've done that because there's always been this suspicion that recruiters will change references so that you'll hire them because we want to get the fee. Yeah. And, and I have yeah. no doubt I've been that very happens suspicious all the time. myself. <laughs> um, but then, so we now use a third party to do that so we don't have control over that, which has built a bit more trust in them. But references are still very ineffective. Um, I mean, I've probably had, bear in mind I've done this for 25 years, I reckon I've had maybe nine bad references. That's not many. Mm. So, and, you know, you do worry about someone who gives you a referee who's going to give them a bad reference. So it depends how you use them. I don't think references should be your decision-making tool. I think references should be used to find out more about that person to help you manage them once you've hired them. You should have already decided you're going to hire them. You're probably not going to hear anything bad. So forget the references, questions about did they come in on time and stuff like that. That's irrelevant. You want to know how to manage them, what, what motivates them, what doesn't motivate them, and things that are going to help you expedite your relationship with them. With the references, though, really often when, when a person separates from a company, the manager of that person wants to end the relationship amicably. You know what I'm trying to say. Yep. <laughs> um, and so they'll always say, yes, look, we're going to give you a reference. We're going to give you this. Yep. Which, which, yes, like you're saying, makes them kind of irrelevant. But if someone was to call, if someone was, to, if you would speak to that manager, you can almost look for the things that they're not saying. So they might say, yes, this person's good at A, B, and C. And they don't mention uh, whatever's after that, D okay. and the rest. And you could be like, okay, well, obviously, if they're not mentioning that, because I feel like business owners have, and almost, or managers, leaders have a, have a, bit of a commitment to each other. There's like a, there's an un, unwritten law where it's kind of like, and uh, I, I can't say anything bad, but, and I, <laughs> I reckon I know a lot of members that do this, but I can't say anything bad about you, about the person, sorry, but I don't have to, but I'm not going to lie also. Yep. Well, there's a dark side to references as well. Or do you reckon they get evil? No, no. I mean, technically you're not allowed to give a bad reference, but. Really? There's been some there's been some cases of legal battles in the past that have that have been problematic because people have lost jobs but due let, to a bad reference. Yeah, so let's not get into that because it's a very complicated subject. No, the dark side I'm talking about is 
and I know people that have done this, they will give a bad employee a great reference to a competitor. Oh, yeah. And, I was thinking that in that, my head. That happened. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. It happened. Oh, we don't have a competitor, so I can't do that. No. But, <laughs> but, yeah, that would make sense. And, and that's, you know, that's even worse. I mean, that's, that's mm. literally yeah, someone that's trying to bad. scupper someone's business by giving a complete lying yeah. account of someone just to, just to mess up their business. So but, I don't know. I'm not a massive fan of references. I think they'll always exist, but I think we still haven't worked out how to use them well. But you're much better off catching up with the person three times. The first time being, hey, do we get along? The second time being, these are the details of the roles and the company. And the third time being, hey, Kate, this is the future. Are there any hesitations, any issues coming up? Yep. And then locking them in. And, you know, and references. Preferably within a two-week process. I think if you can do it in two weeks is great. References in other countries are almost non-existent now. In the UK, you can't say anything in a reference. It's really just a confirmation of dates because there's just been too many problems with it. And recruitment in the – you're obviously from – you're from London? I am. I mean – the Brits are the top dogs in recruitment, aren't they? We own it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yours. <laughs> yeah. Is it different? Do you find um, you moved to Australia because your wife or? Yeah. Well, no, I didn't know her, but um, I met her here. I moved to Australia when I was 25. Because you're smart. And it, was, it seemed like a better place than London right then. And, yeah, I just came for a year, like a lot, and never left. 25 years now I've been here. Wow. Um, but very different, very different uh, working standards, very similar culture, but very different working environments. I got told that Australia works a lot slower or a lot um, – it's nowhere near as intense as London or New York. Absolutely. The, the, when I first came, I mean, it, it, look, it's, it's got a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. When I came in 99 oh, – it, it was still a country sleepy. town back then. It was sleepy. <laughs> I mean, you literally you go nuts. You get so frustrated. Everybody took so long to do everything. I've obviously sli- slid into that now. I don't know how I'd go if I have to work back in London. I think I'd just get trampled. But um, it, it's, that, it's that intense. It's it? super intense, super competitive. There's a lot less loyalty between people and clients. No one cares about anyone. Oh, it's more and brutal. It's Absolutely brutal is the the right word. I've heard that about New York as well, actually. I've never worked in New York, but I've been. Seems mm-hmm. like a brutal place just to holiday. So I can't only imagine <laughs> what it's like yes. to work. Do you know what I, I said to someone about Manhattan? It is it is a city for the strong. If you are a weak person, <laughs> Manhattan will eat you alive. That place is hard to even figure out where to get a good coffee from. Or yep. like you either love it or you hate it. Yeah, I think if you're a weak person, you need to be going to Belgium or somewhere like yeah. that. I don't, I don't think <laughs> New York's the place places. <laughs> um, where were we? We were. Where were we? We were, know. anyway. Let's switch topics. Let's switch so, topics. So, um, um, uh, actually, here's what I wanted to talk to you about. We started doing this thing called disc profiling. It's like a personality. I know it. I know it well. Okay. Um. Which, first of all, do you recommend people do these character tests with potentials? I think if you use the results in the right way, they're amazing. And sorry, actually, do you want to explain what a disk profile is used for, for, for the listeners, just in case, because I only found out what it was a month ago. So, so disk's great. Look, there's a free version of it online. It's been around a very long time. It kind of fell out of favor for a few years, but it's very much come back now. And um, what is it? What is it? It's, it's a personality questionnaire that tells you the traits of someone and, and how they are likely to behave in certain scenarios. Um, it's come back because Tony Robbins has pushed it very hard and so because of that on itself it's come back and there's some more involved versions that you can tailor to specifically match what you're looking for, the kind of person you're looking for. And the idea is it will tell you how that person is going to behave in the future. 
Now, it's not 100% accurate, but it is it is much more simplified than a lot of the more complicated ones that sort of have come and gone, and, and I think it's a lot more reliable. I think it's a good system. So you like it? I do like it. We started using it, and we found out that everyone that was successful at Cub that was in the same role almost had identical results. And they should do. Results. That's, that's the idea. Yeah. That's the idea. And so that's what you use these tests for. Yeah, and I think you've got to use them for that. I don't think you can make a hiring decision based on that. I think if you like someone and you then put them through a profile and they're perhaps not the same as the rest of those people in those roles, you maybe look at how you could use them differently mm-hmm. rather than not necessarily hire them. Brilliant. And I think that's the other thing with recruitment. You've got to hire good people. They may not always fit your role. It's much better to change your role to fit the person than the other way around. Yes, I like that. Someone said that to me the other day. Who said that? Probably me. What? what, (laughs) Well, we we never did our pre um, pre podcast conversation to plan what we're going to say. So no, no, we wouldn't wouldn't have been me. No. (laughs) But but what? Say that again. It's better to find a It's better to find a role to fit a good person. Then find a good person to fit. Tailor, role. tailor the role. I think you can you can tailor roles to fit people as opposed to looking for a person to fit a specific hole. If you have a whole group of really talented people and you work out how they can work together the best using their skills, that's far more efficient than just saying, right, I've got these holes and I'm just going to put people in them and hopefully they'll all get on. Mm-hmm. And do you have any strategies? This came up the other day. Do you have any strategies? You want to hire someone. You might be hiring them, you really like them, but you're not sure you've got to finish the last interview with one more person. Yep. But you don't want them to get stolen because they told you that they've got, they might be taking another role. Yep. Which is probably a lie anyway, but it's going to freak you out. It's a good sales tactic. So do you have a strategy or something that people can do to kind of lock them in, to keep them there? To keep them interested. Mm. To well, keep look, them not moving somewhere else? Depends how long you want to keep them waiting. I mean, I'm not a selfish man. I'm not going to say, hey, wait a, two weeks, but a week. They shouldn't. They should, if they're really engaged in your business and they're going to be the right person in your business, they will find a way to make it work. Yeah, so There's they no take, strategy. They, they should just do it. If they don't want to do it, then you're well, not their number one job. Yeah, if they take another role, then you don't want them yeah, anyway. Exactly okay, right. yeah, that's a good answer. Um, <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm no, uh, no satisfied. Problem. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, so apart from being an expert in the recruitment process and, and recruiting, um, you're also an expert in having started and sold uh, multiple companies. Before. Expert is definitely well, the you've wrong done word. It. You've done it twice. I've done it. You've done it twice. It's awful. It's one of the most awful. It's difficult, isn't <laughs> it's, it? It's 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 not something I've enjoyed either time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been so glad at the end of it. It's just it's everything you think about it is completely the opposite. I guess it's like um, when <laughs> yeah, they say certain industries are glamorous. It's not glamorous at all. Yeah. It's just again brutal is the right word. It's exhausting. It's depressing. It's it's a hard thing to go through. It's a really hard thing to is go through. Is it worth it at the end? Absolutely. 100%. No doubt. Yeah. Once yeah. yeah. you pocket all the cash and that, you go on yeah. your South France holiday for a while before you start the next business? I mean, it depends how you how you play it. But uh, <laughs> it's, the, it's the freedom from it. I think it, it's the, the sense of deal. I'm a, I love doing deals, okay? So I'm a recruiter partly because I like doing deals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the ultimate deal. And when you do do it, the sense of satisfaction because it's so exhausting mentally is insane. You get this huge rush of endorphins. It's amazing. Once it, once it, yeah. once it, you pull it off. The day you sign that bit of paper, absolutely. That and would and be, the day the money hits the account, you get another rush. Yeah, that would be incredible. <laughs> and and so run us through then. So you've had you've done it twice. Well, what was the first company? The first company was uh, a recruitment company again called Fingerprint, which was it was when digital recruitment started, and we just we went and started a digital recruitment business to try and to try and do that and. That went very well and we sold that about, we were very lucky, I think it was four and a half months before the GFC. 
Wow. Um, so Who did you sell it to? They would be unhappy about that. I'm right? not sure I should say, but we yeah. sold it to a, yeah. to, a, to a listed IT company who um, who I, they sort of it, – it died very shortly after they bought it, unfortunately. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was good for us. It was yeah. good for us. Did you have any inklings at the GFC? No one really had Absolutely inklings. Absolutely none. Yeah. I was really young. Um, they approached us. They were trying to grow a business in that sector. They couldn't do it. So they figured they'd just buy us and it was a good strategy. Um, we weren't particularly looking to sell, but they came with some very generous numbers. It was one of those sort of peaks of the market thing and and we ran with it. And that process, because they were listed, was really awful. What, what type of tactics did they use on you? How did they uh, – first of all, how long was the process – from starting the conversation to, to, to signing the contract and receiving the money? I think it was about six or seven months. Um, okay. Is you, that normal? Is it a long process? Short I think process? that's quite – because they it were listed – too long. Because they were listed, it was pretty short. Mm-hmm. Um, but we weren't a big business. That was a, that business was probably only about 20-odd people. How old were you when you sold it? I would have been maybe just 32. Oh, you were young. Something like that. Pretty, maybe even so you've younger. been successful from the start, from a young age. Well, just because someone buys you doesn't mean you're successful. Well, it means you made a bit of cash, but it, well, it means your good business is good enough for someone to, to absolutely. Acquire. And look, it was uh, we were going through a peak. It was digital equipment. It was new. It was exciting. You know, we were one of the first to get out there and do it. So that that always helps. Well, why do you think? Uh, sorry, I just want to talk about um, um, why some people are driven from a young age to to get into business. You know, did you always want to be a business owner, or were you? There's a there's a there's quite a story to that. I think I think it's something that happens to you generally in your life that drives that. For me, it was my dad. My dad was a uh, dentist mm-hmm. and all my family had been Harley Street dentists since time began. wasn't something that had appealed to me. But when he was quite young and he had three kids at private school, he injured his neck and he wasn't able to practice anymore. And he didn't know how he was going to get his, any money. He didn't mm-hmm. know how he was going to do anything. So... From a dentist, he became one of the first people to import rap music into the UK. Can you believe no that? Way so random. Um, he that met is up so random. So random, and such a terrible name. Moving music, it was called M O V I N. Just terrible. Um, well, I like your dad. And uh, he legend. did that, and then he went and did um, financial planning, and he went and did all these businesses just just to get by and keep us at school. And mm. I think seeing him go through that was what made me want to go and do that. Yeah, because he came out of you know what could be a terrible position. You study your whole life to do something, and then you can't do it anymore. Then you just come up with something. I mean, and that of all things, he doesn't even like rap music, but um, he did <laughs> yeah, very but well. That's what I love about this guy. He just saw an opportunity. Was like, I'm going to take that. That was it. And I think that always that always made me believe I could go and do whatever as well. And he always told me that. You know, he my sister and brother were very very academic. I was not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm a massive dyslexic, and I struggled at school. Me too. Yeah, I know a lot of it. There's a lot of us out there. Yeah. Have you ever seen my? Um, Sometimes, very rarely, I'll send an email to the entire community. And uh, lately, obviously, I've been doing it a lot more because yep. of the current crisis situation. But. But um, I always get responses, Daniel, we love you, but that is not how you spell there. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I, I ridiculously get simple word. I like. have old employees <laughs> ringing me up going, Steve, you just put a post up, you need to change this. <laughs> um, so, and look, spell check. takes me longer to spell check than it does to yeah, type. No, Much spell longer. check. Forget spell check. Spell check looks at my word and it's like, what the fuck is this guy trying to write? Grammarly. Have you got Grammarly? That's even worse. I find it that, good. I like it. It can't get me. I'm too off the... <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got an oh, I've got an uncle who's worse than me, but anyway, another topic. Um, uh, Grammarly is good, actually. I it tried it, but I got I started getting pissed off because I would try to type and it would change the word. I think you've got to change the settings. It's a setting thing. Um, 
A- anyway, and, and so you were inspired by, by your father. Because he told me I would always be able to do anything. You know, he said that. He's always, he said, I goes, I know you're not as academic, you know, his sister was head girl, all that sort of business. And, mm-hmm. and he said, you will be able to do anything. People like you, you like people. He goes, you'll be fine. Isn't that profound, the effect that someone, that, that a parent can have on their child? Massive. My, my father used to say the same thing to me. He used to say to me, actually I'll tell you a story. He used to say, he used to say to me, I don't care what you do. So long as you do it the best, whatever you do, you have to do it so good, better than everybody else. And I don't even know if I should be telling this story because it's a bit weird. We can edit it out. Trust me, Laura does a lot of editing (laughs) on this podcast. But when I was real young, I was maybe 16, really young, I I was drinking with my friends and I was walking through Potts Point actually at the time, King's Cross, a bit more lively. And I went and there was a homeless man sitting outside of like a, you know, like a 7-Eleven shop. Not a 7-Eleven, but you know the I know the one. It wasn't a 7-Eleven, but one of the little convenience stores. And the guy was like, oh, I'm really hungry. Can you please get me something? And me being the moron I am, walked in, grabbed um, like a nut bar. Yep. And gave him, um, gave, just gave the man the number. I didn't buy it. I just took it and gave it to the homeless man. Anyway, then I walked back in. <laughs> yeah, this is going to go well. So, yeah. Oh, it went horrendously. I walked back in to buy myself something. And then as I'm in line to buy something, um, undercover police grabbed me and <laughs> it was a big kerfuffle. And anyway, I didn't tell my dad. I went and got my own lawyers. And, and the reason I tell this story is because it just shows how much he meant that whatever you do, you have to do it the best. And I, I went and got, I got my own lawyers. I called a, a lawyer I knew. I, yep. I, I had to go to court. I had to go to the police station, everything. everything. I was 16. I was, for a nut bar. I was full running for a nut bar. No, I didn't know the co- uh, there was an undercover cop and I, 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 I punched can see one how that went. Yeah. yeah, you've been drinking. And, and so it was pretty serious, actually. I was in fair bit of trouble. And, and anyway, one day my dad used to work real late. So it was like 3 a.m. He was working downstairs and, and I, was, I, was, I was so young. I was walking home and so I was walking in the house. And I walk in, I'm like, oh, dad, how are you going? How's your day? Hey, good, good. How are you going? I was like, good. He goes, hey, how's your court case going? <laughs> and I just looked at him, like, just like freaked out, didn't know what to say, couldn't speak. And he goes to me, do me a favor. If you're going to be, if you're going to be a fool like that, at least do it properly. If you're going to do that, don't, <laughs> don't take a nut bar, at least rob a bank or something, something of, of substance, something, something, of, note. something of notoriety. What is this? And I got so embarrassed. I thought, I remember I went to my bedroom. I was like, fuck, where's the nearest bank? <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, the, the, he always said that to me. And, and so I always just believed that I could. I think you just do. You just believe. If your mm. parents tell you things at certain times in your life, when you're susceptible, particularly when you're a young boy and it's your dad, you just believe them, right? Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. your dad's always right at that age. It's only when you're older you think they're wrong all the time. Yeah, and then you later and you find out they were right. They the were right. It's even more annoying. But. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, I think that um, a lot of business owners uh, or a lot of people should be just s- realising how much of an impact they're having to, to their kids by doing what they do. And, and their staff. It's the same thing. It's not as powerful right. but definitely the same thing. A hundred percent inspiration. Part of being a leader is that inspiration. It's the biggest part. And, and, and sharing that. 
um, inspiration by giving empowering others to be, hey, you can do great things as well. Make them believe they can do great things. That's mm. that's the the number one thing. That's the only way to really. I mean, it doesn't really matter. All the other things you can do are great, but that's simply the number one thing that's going to help the team succeed. They've got to believe they can see it, and they need to know that you believe it. Mm. And perhaps with new team members, you should be saying that, mate. I believe, or yeah, I believe you. You're going to achieve great things at this company. I think you've got to be believable, you got, but you got you can't <laughs> say it. Can't just lie. Can't just go. You, you're going to be amazing. You got it. Yeah, you got to you got to yeah. think about it. Maybe, okay, yeah. but yeah, absolutely. And so, what are the key lessons you've had in in? So you've sold to a public listed company. You've also sold to to a business, a business partner. partner. Which one's harder? Business partners much harder. Is it really? Invariably, because if you're selling to a business partner, there is a reason. And typically that reason is not a great reason. It's, it's that you disagree on the way the business could, could sort of go or the direction that you want to go or that someone's had something bad happen in their life and they have to sell or that you've just fundamentally the relationship's broken down. You know, it's not usually a great reason. When you're selling to someone else, it's you and hopefully your business partner or maybe it's just you but whoever against them, so mm -hmm. to speak. When you're, you're selling team. to a business partner, you, you're in there every day, you're negotiating every day, there's nothing you don't know. It, it's a much more emotional situation and it, it, I found that really, really difficult and I did that last year. And um, what were some lessons? What were some lessons that people – because I, <laughs> um, <laughs> I know a lot of people go through that. Though. A lot of people do sell to their business partners. I guess what's, what are some uh, notes of wisdom you can share that uh, you would encourage others to learn from your – learn from what you did? Look, I, I know a few other people have done the same. I think as, as difficult as it is, you've got to really – I guess it's a bit like a divorce – um, you've got to behave quite um, because the kids are the staff, right? And if they see you fighting, so to speak, it's going to impact the actual business that you're selling as mm -hmm. well. I think you both got to be grown up about it. I think you both got you've got to use advisors to do the most of it rather than doing it yourself. It's too emotional to do yourself. Mm -hmm. You probably one of you needs to remove themselves from the business, or you just need to work in different locations. Those are the things I would say that are difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but again, once it's done, it is good for everybody. And I think you've really got to focus on a win-win. I mean, everyone always talks about the win-win, but in that scenario, you will have had some level of friendship as well. Um, you need to have some sort of win-win and you need to be very clear with each other about what you feel you're both getting. Mm. The business model of a recruitment agency. Yes. Okay. I am a big fan of this model. I got taught from a young age, 80% of your of the team should be assets, should be producing more than they're costing. Yep. And the other 20% should be ensuring that that 80% can do what they do. Um, and that is very much a recruitment structure, isn't it? Because really it most is. people are, are sales. Most of the recru recruiter is, in, is a sales. 80, you're right. 80, probably more than 80% of those people are revenue generating staff. Mm. So it's a good business model on and it's commission-based. You know, I mean, I think that's the other thing. There's a, there's a good split between base salaries and commission. Base salaries have gone up a lot over the last few years. Um, I, I don't actually know why. It's a really good question. I should probably find someone a shortage of talent. That. You answered it before. Supply and demand, yeah, my friend. I suppose it is, yeah. Um, and so, But still having that commission element, it, it, it shows the right behaviours of people. I think if people don't want to work on commission, they'll go and work internally in companies and a lot of recruiters do that and that's probably a good thing because they don't necessarily do so well in recruitment agencies and that means their earnings are down and that means they become usually unmotivated and that can be bad for the whole team and all that kind of stuff. So it is, it's a great 
business model because people are very, very accountable. And I think that's that I think if you could bring accountability into all jobs, it would be amazing. But it's kind of forced on recruiters because if they're not accountable, they don't get paid. And many people these days asking for stock options, equity, um, all that type of stuff. Not maybe relative maybe not in recruitment. Um, actually in recruitment, a lot of recruiters, rather than a person leaving, I'm sure they'd probably want to allow them to start their own business within the business. Is that something that happens? That doesn't uh, – does it happen? It, I don't think it does. I think okay. it should. Mm. Um, we had some people leave my last business to go and set up their own businesses and, you know, I did not see the point in trying to limit their ability to work with their clients. I said, take your clients with you, go for it, which is unusual, but I just didn't see the point. You know, I'd done that myself. I'd mm. gone and started my own one and I, I left a very large recruiter and they were, they were not kind to me when I left and that really hindered that my start. Um, so I think people should do that. I think they should offer them the ability to do it within their own recruitment agencies. It's not something I've ever really see happen more than a few times, mm -hmm. um, but it's a great idea. We actually have a member in Melbourne who has a, a, a quite a large recruitment agency and he, he told me, his name's Anthony, he told me that um, they encourage that to keep the best it's a great idea within yeah. the business. And I think I, I think if I had the ability, if this agency I'm building now gets to that size and scale, then I would without right. question do it, yeah. Brilliant. And then when when uh, new staff members are coming in, there's all these stock options, um, uh, equity plays and yep. all this type of stuff. What are your thoughts on that? I think – What are the different options? In just normal businesses, you mean? Yeah. Look, again, we deal with this a lot now with our, with our new model. I think people are smarter about that now. I think a lot of people want that and that that's good. I think working for a startup is a very different kettle of fish to working for a large organisation, but scale-ups are offering that as well, particularly ones you've had private equity come in. So I think there are people that make careers out of that and they're the, they're the, the ones who go into the private equity and they, they make a career out of it. They're smart. They are the ones that are just off being entrepreneurial. They haven't quite got whatever it is that makes you take that final the risk, step. It's the risk. Uh, yep, they just it, haven't got that. Yeah. But they can still do well in that model. So there's a lot of people that are, and they're usually very high quality people, but they'll never go out on their own. So that's good for them. What, what do you mean? So, so people that are just under the entrepreneurial, they're just as, I guess, clever, but maybe they haven't, they're a bit more risk averse. Yeah. They're the ones that you'd give um, a bit of equity to. They're the entrepreneurial traits. They've got a lot of them, but not all of them. And you would recommend giving them a piece of... Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm doing that with all of my staff in my new business because I think it also builds a sense of, of um, togetherness, not just a sense of ownership, but a, a sense of togetherness. And how does it work? What happens if uh, you fire them or they leave? Well, there's, there's a million different ones and there's plenty of lawyers in our club membership who can help you create yeah. those plans. But, yeah. I mean, you can structure them any way you want. Okay. Most of them, if you leave, you lose it. Yes. Um, Look, if, if it's which a, makes sense, which makes sense. If it's a listed business, then that's different. Um, obviously, you know, again, you have vesting periods and so forth, and mm. there's a huge complexity in that. Um, a vesting period is the period of which. So, um, if you become, if you join a business, the, the business may say, "Look, you're going to have a, a two percent yep. equity stake, but uh, you have a five year vesting period. Yep. So you have to stay at the company for five years, and then you have that." Or they invest over time throughout those five years. Or it goes amounts. up yeah, to yeah. the full amount. Absolutely. Of Brilliant. And and so is that a popular thing that's happening at the moment? It, uh, uh, yeah, it is. It's, oh. it's big. ESOP, as they call them, employee share option plans are becoming… What's it called? called ESOP. -E employee, employee share option. It's becoming very common. Um, and from your people that you're… So obviously you've got a lot of talent. You speak to a lot of talent yeah. as well as the business, but you speak to a lot of talent. A lot, are a lot of the talent coming to you 
and saying, um, hey, we, we want to find a, I want to find a company that is willing to offer me some sort of ESOP. You, there are, there's a whole section of people who will only work for companies who really? do now. Yeah, and they're looking for that. But, and there are so many that offer it as well. Mostly small, mostly startups? Mostly startups, but the, the larger scale-ups, tech businesses offer it a mm. lot. I mean, it's very popular in the US. It's really grown here in the last year. I see it in the clients that we deal with in probably 80% of our clients now. I mean, we have a very specific client base, but it's, it's incredibly popular. Um, and people do do really value it. And, well, and I guess it's more popular in the tech companies because um, tech companies can have huge astronomical valuations in short periods of time. So if you have yep. a 1% stake and then the company's worth a billion dollars, what's that, 10 million? Well, again, it only it's only worth a billion dollars if if they liquidate it, and, and you know by that I mean they either they either float the stock or they sell mm. the business. Otherwise, it's still worth it's nothing. It's still worth nothing. Um, and people have gotten a bit smarter at that too, and they want to know. Okay, yep, I want a company with an ESOP plan, but I want to know when's the liquidation event and what's the plan. What's how the we liquidation get strategy? Yeah, what is that? Because look at a business like Canva. You know, it's worth billions, but they haven't liquidated any of it. So technically, all those shareholders, and I know quite a few. They haven't, they haven't got their return on their money and they won't until they do. We have to get Miss Perkins in on the podcast. We to should maybe do story. that, yeah. And, and currently, this market we're in um, is obviously one that's uh, fairly uncharted before this, this current uh, crisis we're in. totally uncharted. But one incredible thing that's – no, that was the horrible way to say that. <laughs> one awful thing that's happened, which um, may present opportunity for companies, yep. is – um, that many incredible, incredibly talented people no longer have a job, which means that um, it's a great, it's a, it's an opportunity for companies to bring in new talent of which they may not have been otherwise able to get. It's a, it's a huge, huge. I think you know the interesting. That was thing, like a minefield saying that. What, I think you got <laughs> dodging a lot of bullets. I think, <laughs> I think. I've seen something really interesting that I didn't expect with this. I mean, the drop-off of roles going on hold was something like I've never seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the GFC, we lost a lot of roles, but this the, it was just everything just fell off a cliff. Yeah, this was everyone stopped. But it just went on hold. You know, it didn't stop. And what I've seen now is that the companies who I thought would take advantage of that, and these were the VC-backed companies and the private equity-backed companies, they're just holding. They're holding on to their cash. They're not doing anything. Even though they've got funding and they're not necessarily relying on making profits, because they're just trying to grow their revenue bases, they're the ones putting it on hold. The ones who are going for it and who recognize this, and there were quite a few, and I've been surprised, are the really small owner-occupied, founder-run companies. What do you who, mean by really small? So I guess we, anything under about two, 300, really, that sort of size business. Oh, small, small, yeah, really yeah. early startups. They're the ones, or even private businesses who, you know, are very successful, but they're still not, they're not massive. Mm. But they're going, you know what, this is, they've recognised the opportunity and they are releasing more roles because they know they can get that person they've been trying to get for six months and they know they can get them. And now. probably for a good price now. Well, they're saying that, but I'm advising them not to do that because all that will happen then is someone will come along and offer them more money in three, six months, whenever this ends. Could you potentially though? If it could you sorry, let's say you find someone amazing 
they're worth a hundred thousand. You could build it, yeah. Yeah, could That's you say, you hey, I'll give you fifty grand now just to start get used to the company when the economy comes back, your wage doubles. Fifty is probably a tad harsh, but you could definitely hey, go it's in. It's better lower. than not getting paid, and not having a job. This is true. This is true. I think you should. I think there's still the level of respect you want to show that person. So I still think you need to go in. You could go in at three quarter salary with a view to it moving up, but it's dangerous. It's a dangerous game to play with someone like that. It is. Well, you know, at, at Cub, we actually got together and we said, hey, look, guys, just for safety purposes. Let's all drop our our wages. We we got together. As, I might, for example, my wage currently is fifty grand a year. Yep. I'm uh, um, learning how to budget fifteen hundred dollars uh, <laughs> a fortnight, which 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 isn't too bad. But uh, just enough for, for those who know run. me. For no, for those who know <laughs> me, this doesn't go very far. Um, um, and I think that's a really cool. And look, we've we've done this. I mean, I've I've stopped taking a salary, but my um, one of my my employees came to me and said, she said, look, I, I just don't think I should take any commission until this is over. You know, wow. and I didn't even go to them. And I thought that was awesome. Yeah, well, that's how you know that's a keeper. That's someone who has the greater, that, first of all, they're smart enough to know that, hey, this business needs to survive so yeah. that I survive. Second of all, they're committed to the company. And they yeah. did that early. They did that early on. Which was, which was great. I they mean, should get a pro- awesome. I would promote that person up. I thought you were going to say give them a prize. No, like, you should give something. them a prize. <laughs> no, but you should, yeah, like that's the type of person. What I liked about this situation, the, the, the thing we did with the Cup team, which I, I know a lot of members are doing too, is that the team came together. They made a group decision that we decided that everyone's going to be comfortable through this. If something does pop up and it's an emergency, that we're going to all take care of that, that situation. Yep. And suddenly you've got this team that just are 100% trusting of each other. We, we know that we're all together, we've got this, we're working twice as hard for less pay, we're servicing not just our members but more people. And I'm using Cub as an example because obviously that's what I know. I know yep. a lot of members are doing this. But I think that when when you come out of the crisis that everybody gets a, a bonus, a reward, an increase in wage. Uh, yeah, or absolutely. Even, or I even think, an equity piece, which is which is what I w- I would like to do. I think that's a I think that's a good thing yeah. to do. And it turns a bad bad bed bad situation, bad situation into a great opportunity to acquire something for the team to acquire something that they weren't going to have. I heard a great, great saying the other day and it, it, I just love this saying. Please. I know you're going to love it. Um, and they were talking about really seeing who your true employees are um, and it was, I've actually heard it twice and the other time was someone was talking about, you know, companies that probably weren't as financially stable as perhaps they might have thought um, and the saying was you only know who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. And I just love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's I love exactly the analogy. Right. It's just, it's such a good one. Yeah. That, I, I had one the other day. I'm not going to be able to repeat it because it was a <laughs> difficult one. But basically it was talking about um, a downturn, right, a bad economy. Yep. It's like when the Formula One car is coming up to the to the bend. I miss the Formula Every, One. Everyone, yeah, I know. Well, you know, we went as a <laughs> – there goes a story, but yep. we, <laughs> we, we come had back a, to the story. Yeah, we had a Cub uh, Melbourne. I was going to go. I, oh, I was, was close to booking it, and then oh. I just thought it's not going to happen. It oh, was that, it happened. That, that deal you had with the chopper and the, yeah, with the helicopter. Yeah. It was for charities, for a men's health charity, yep. uh, which a member is the chair oh, of. I saw you in the chopper actually on yeah, LinkedIn. Oh, That's was, right. So we we were lucky enough to have one of the only experiences of, of we had the best box in the place. That was a brilliant event. We're, the members love. Anyway, you really missed out. Next Thanks. year. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Anyway, the moral of the story was that a recession is a great time for you to to um, do something that cars do to make them go around the bend faster than others, <laughs> and 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 be, it's a great time to overtake. Yeah, is 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 the point I think it is. It and, is, and I, I think so. You've been so you went through the GFC. I did. 
And what did you – is this somewhat similar or – I no, mean, Not at all. It, it's Oh, it's not? Not even remotely. I think the, the difference with this one is, I mean, the GFC, you know, you could understand why it happened. You could see why it happened and you could see how long the recovery was going to take. No one knows what's going to happen this. Last time we had a pandemic, we weren't a connected world and, mm. and, and it, no one really knows. And I think, you know, a lot of people say it could be short, a lot of people say it could be long. No one has a clue and I think that's what makes this so different is that the economy is fundamentally still fine. It's well, there's just, money. It's, it's just, just not moving. Not moving. So mm. it should recover very quickly, should recover. But, again, we don't know. But we also don't know how long it's going to take and we also don't know. We don't know anything. And that, I think that's, it's the, there's a lot of people who are scared and scary makes people make funny decisions. And I think is if we can stop everyone being scared, we will get through it. And I think I believe it will go a lot quicker than people think. I know a week seems like a long time when you have to watch ScoMo every day, mm. but it it's it's go, I think it's going to end quicker than people think, but it will feel a lot longer. Well, we've got a very good finger on the pulse because we speak to the members all the time. And what we're finding is that a lot of it is business wants to trade. They, they want they to trade. The they're just waiting two weeks. Like a lot of members have been saying, oh, um, um, w- w- there's, it, they're uncertain. They don't want to do anything in the next two weeks because they want to see what's happening. They, it's as if they want ScoMo or someone to say, hey, look, this is the plan. This is the layout. This is what's going to happen. I think you're right. Build around that. And once they know that, that you watch it. It'll, I reckon the floodgates will open again. Well, you can't um, adapt when you don't know what's that's, coming. And that's the problem. No one's moving because no one knows what where to move. They, and we it, had the same thing. Well, Clients saying two, three weeks. Come back in two, three weeks. Yeah, it's like trying to what's, what's that saying with the boats? It's like trying to guide your boat when when you haven't got uh, what? radar. Oh, this, this <laughs> doesn't, doesn't. Yeah. You should you should you re-record need, that one you later. Need to do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to move on from that. <laughs> but you can't decide where you're going if if you've got nowhere to go. No, yeah, you need you need to know what the plan is so yeah. you can adapt to it. I just think that the economy is going to affect more people than the virus. That's obviously going to be very controversial. Well, that's a Trump phase, isn't it? Don't let the cure be worse than the problem. Well, I th- and that's I believe that. And the reason I say that is because I think that the virus um, is incredibly uh, – mind you, I also want everyone to be safe and I want all the right precautions in place. But, but the virus is a war on – maybe under 10% of the population. Yep. The economy is a war on 100% of the population. When people stop having money to eat or pay their rent, then you've got bigger issues than, than, uh, uh, than a virus that's, 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 that's affecting 10%. Well, the rent's I mean, huge. I, I know the owner of a big, big um, uh, real estate agent here in the eastern suburbs who has a massive rental book. You live in the east, yeah? Yep. And everyone's just stopped paying their rent. So yeah, just stopped paying. they have. Um, and you can't evict them and they don't want to evict them. But it's it, it's caused problems. If someone was paying that rent, then that would keep another part of the economy going. Keep going. Yeah, so anyway, all in all, the government's, I think, doing a good job. But there are some things we should be we should be um, taking from. Look, from the, I, the, I appreciate that. I mean, they've done some funny things. Haircuts for 30 minutes. You know, my wife was horrified by that. Um, and then they had to pull that back. So they do, yeah. they're trying to be fast, but they're not necessarily thinking about it as well. I feel bad too because you hear a lot of people like say bad things about their decisions, but like, think about your company. You're trying to navigate a company. Right? Yeah. I'm trying to navigate a company at the moment, just one company through this crisis and make good decisions for the company. Imagine making decisions for all the companies. So difficult. Oh, it'd be impossible. I, I think he's. I think Morrison is doing a great job. Um, um, and so 
I mean, on, on the same topic as, as, the current, as the current crisis we're in, there's an influx of good talent on the market. There is. And the big companies aren't taking that talent. So the high growth companies um, are, are taking the opportunity to do so. What's the strategy you, you would recommend for people to, to find the best people in this time? I think that honestly, and I'm not just saying this because I'm in the industry, that those candidates are flocking to agencies. They're not flocking to individual companies. You know, if you are a, a good high quality candidate that's either lost their job, is worried about their job or, or wants to move, you're not going to ring up 50 companies. You're going to ring up four or five recruiters yeah. and that will hopefully it's give easy. you access to hundreds of companies, right? Mm -hmm. So, and they can talk with us and tell us what they want and it's a little bit more of a transparent process. So if you want to do that, if you want to take advantage of it, go and talk to the recruiters that you use because they will be able to help you and, and they will have the time now to be able to really help you mm -hmm. um, and help you get those people on board. Has Cub ever used you guys yourself or it? No, I don't know because most of the time I've been not working. Because <laughs> I had my time off between the two companies. You just weren't, you weren't hiring in the very early years. And then since you have been, I've only really just started this business yeah, well, again. So you haven't, but um, yeah. <laughs> we should, well, obviously we should jump back. We should jump on board with the new business then. But so, but uh, okay, obviously go to recruiter, but what else? What else? Look, I Give think some knowledge. I think, I think things around your employee brand. I think getting the message out there about what your company is doing and the positives and the future. You know, again, it's storytelling. If you want high quality people, tell your story. Um, everyone's on LinkedIn. Use LinkedIn. Is LinkedIn is I think the only social tool you should use for hiring effectively. Mm -hmm. um, the others they're not designed for hiring, mm -hmm. so don't use them for it. Yep. Um, people don't want to go on there and be preached to about that. If they want that and they want to look for it. They'll go on to so LinkedIn. So just push out the message, push out the brand story as much as you can during this time because the an ama amazing candidate that you wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity or be able to, to have yep. could see it and be like, yep. And be flexible it. in, you know, maybe if you can't afford to hire everyone that you want, think of innovative ways of doing that. You know, recruiters are taking part payments. Companies, are, people are coming on part-time. You know, there's options you can do to get these people engaged with your brand and your company that when it does come, then they'll come back on full time. Even if it's even if it's a part time role, even if it's a work from what, whatever it is, there's mm. always depends on the industry. There's so many options, but think about a way you can work in in with with these people innovatively, mm -hmm. so that you can ultimately both get what you want down the track, but at least both have something now. It's just it's like it's the it's the shoot then it's just start get let's start, let's start the it's relationship. That, you know, it's what you and I do. You just get out there and do something. Yeah, just do it. Do something. Um, brilliant, mate. Before we wrap up. Do you have perhaps three of your greatest tips with recruiting or <laughs> this is why we have to prepare more, but do you have something or, or, or a thought tips. or a thought that you want to leave the listeners with or a bit of knowledge you'd like to, um, to share Look, uh, I, just I, to finish? I think if you, if you look at where we are, my thought would be we're all very much impacted by negativity. Mm -hmm. So you've got to get away from that. And I have found personally the last week, the days that I watch the news, I am not as innovative and as positive about my business as the days I do not. And if I don't watch the news in the morning, I go into my office and I'm ready to take on the world. When I do, sometimes I go into my office and I look at my screen and go, oh my God. So stop watching the news. If you have to watch it, watch it at the end of the day, then read a book, then go to bed or something like that. But don't watch it in the morning. I hundred percent agree and as a cherry on that cake put out a positive message on linkedin put out a positive message or an email to your clients spread the positivity absolutely it's it, got so much power yes and it, it's going to stimulate the economy it's going to make the business owners happy and it's going to kick 
everything forwards. Love that. We're going to end there. Thank you so much, Steve. Pleasure. Um, um, that's the end of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. <laughs>